Thank you, Pastor Nick. Hey, I want to call your attention to um, something we're going to do in three weeks. It's the weekend right before the 4th of July. And I saw this movie called Honor Flight. Did any of you see that movie? We're going to actually show it here the Friday, Friday, June 28th. We'll show it probably twice so that our whole congregation can see it. But it's this whole concept of uh, the realization that World War II veterans are dying at the rate of 900 per day in the United States. Just they've reached that age, 86 to 92 years of age. They're passing away. And so uh, as a congregation, I know that in Topeka, we're all about fireworks on the 4th of July. Well, we want to always remind you what the 4th of July is about and celebrating the uh, independence that we have, um, uh, hopefully, a dependence on the Lord as a country. But I, I had an idea this year to honor every World War II veteran in the city of Topeka, and I'm going to need your help. At the um, at the information center is a, a, a letter that looks like this. It's called an invitation to be our honored guest. If you know someone who uh, served during World War II, I'd like you to go grab one of these and give it to them. It has a uh, prepaid um, postage on it. All they have to do is say yes and which service they'll be at. And in each of those services, June 29th and 30th, we're going to honor them. And uh, I'm actually going to be interviewing uh, several of them. And we'll be showing that video that weekend uh, as we talk about enduring, enduring uh, for as a soldier, enduring as a believer in Jesus Christ. So it's going to be called Honor Service, and it's June 29th and 30th. I hope you'll plan to be here. And like I said, if you know of someone, please grab one of these invitations and take it with them. Take it with you before you leave here and help me invite every World War II veteran in the city of Topeka to our church that weekend. All right, the gospel uh, we learned last week is the good news of salvation offered by grace alone, completed by Christ alone, and received through faith alone. Once we know the gospel, we will, we're called to be convinced in the gospel. That we, when we're convinced, we, we do three things. We share it in love, we suffer for it in power, and we guard it in self-control. Everything we need to advance the gospel is given to us by God. Because God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of, of, a spirit of power and of love and of self-control, as Paul called us to. So we're called away from a life of isolation and into a relationship with God through the gospel. Through the gospel, we're connected to God and we're connected to his family, each other. We're connected also to the world because we now serve on a mission with God to advance his good news for his purposes on earth as it is in heaven. So with that said, let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. And we're going to read through verse 13. I'll pause kind of halfway in there because I want to say a bunch of things uh, at at the front of this passage. Would you read it with me? 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 1. It says... You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in the suffering, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who's enlisted him. 
An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Let's just pause because there's three things we need to see here. Paul is calling the church in Ephesus through Timothy to understand that he and they have, they are part of his will. They're part of God's will. Like I mentioned last week, Paul was in a prison, underground prison in Rome. He was about ready to lose his life. They literally would decapitate him and he would be a martyr for the gospel of Jesus Christ. This was his last and our last letter and communication we get with Paul. He's no more on earth after second Timothy. So his words are straight right to the point. He doesn't mince words. He doesn't have flowery things. He simply says, okay, I'm going to die. This is what you need to live for. Now, everything you need to live for is something that I used to, and I'm continuing to live for. And until I die, this is what I live for. And he, he kind of opens up, this is the will of God for you. You know, a lot of people struggle with, this is the will of God for you. What, what is God's will for me? And we kind of think about it like, like shooting a, shooting a dart at a dartboard. And they, that, that God's will for us is just like that. And it's, it's our own little personal thing we need to figure out on our own. So we're, we view the Christian life as shooting, shooting darts at a dartboard to try to figure out the will of God. But, but this is very clear and very plain. Sure, it was written to Timothy, but it's written to us. It's not just some inspiring instruction. It's the inspired word of God for them as it is for us. Then and today, the church in Ephesus where Timothy was leading and the church in Topeka where you guys are attending right now. It's something for all of us. And Paul is going to say, this is the will of God for you. First thing he says is this. It is the will of God for you to be empowered by God's grace. Look at what he says in verse 1. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That means that you're empowered by God's grace. Grace needs to be something that's evident in your life if you're a follower of Jesus. If you're a recipient of the gospel, you need to live by grace. No longer by the law. And you know what I've learned is that when I live by the law... I live by a concept in my mind called fairness. That I think, I think of my own view of fair, and I think that God has to submit to my view of fair. And that means, that means when you guys, you know, something bad happens to you, you look and you look back and go, what did I ever do to deserve this? Or when something bad happens to someone you love, you go, what did they ever do to deserve this? God, you're not fair. Okay. Well, God is not fair. He's not. And I know some of you are going, yeah, do it all along. He's not fair. He's not. He treats you far better than you deserve. He does. That's not fair. That's grace. And the law says you get what you deserve because you're a lawbreaker. Grace says even though you're a lawbreaker, you're forgiven because God's love. Grace is God's undeserved love given to us. So God's not fair with his grace. You don't deserve it. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. It's given to you. That's why grace is a gift. The gospel is a gift to you. So you receive it. You receive it. And once you've received the grace of God, you need to live as a person of grace. No longer on this concept of fairness. No no longer on this concept of what you think is right, but trusting in the grace of God. You need to be forgiving when someone hurts you. Instead of seeking revenge, you need to give mercy. 
See, that's someone who's empowered by grace. Now, you and I don't have the power in and of ourselves to give grace. We don't. We have a lot of power to give revenge. Guys, when your wife really ticks you off, what do you want? I'm going to withhold love from her. I'm not going to talk to her tonight. I'm going to pout. That really works. It worked when I was four. And it works when I'm 44. Those things work. No, they don't. They don't restore love. They don't bring love. That's you getting even. That's not grace. Our lives with the gospel need to reflect the very relationship that you have been given by God. Your life needs, it's the will of God for you to be empowered by grace. Do you ask for grace in your day? When you're about ready to say something that could really make you feel good, that would really be biting and pay that person back for what they've said. When you think that sarcasm is a gift of the Holy Spirit, is it time, it's time, do you pray for grace? When you have a cynical attitude and you doubt the motives of someone, do you use grace? And give them the benefit of the doubt. See, we've all been hurt by people who've not operated with grace. But when you've been given grace, you never forget it. It's, it's a great precursor to the gospel in your life. is to be treated by someone with grace. Because you reflect the grace of God in your life. And, and when you've received it, you need to give it. Secondly, the will of God for us is to take what we've been giving and entrust, is to be entrusting the gospel to others. Look what Paul says in verse two. He says, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And I know Paul, this is, this is a pastoral letter. It's a letter to Timothy, who's a pastor, and he's going to be teaching the word of God to people, and he's to give that to other men who would teach it. But the, the, it's a transferable principle that what you've been given with the gospel needs to go to someone else's life. As Christ gave Paul the gospel, and Paul gave Timothy the gospel, and Timothy then as a pastor there was giving others the gospel, and then the others would give Others, yet others that Paul didn't even know yet. It's the succession of the gospel. Your life is a succession of the gospel. There need to be people in your life that you're sharing the gospel with. Because it's not to be just kept. It's not to be dead-ended. God's God's living water of Jesus is not to be dead-ended and, and stopped up into a stagnant pond in our lives. He's supposed to flow through us to others. So that it's God's will that there are other people that you ought to be building into. Again, it's not a dartboard with a blindfold. You're not, these, this is God's clear will for all of us that we are entrusting the gospel to others. Joe, I can understand that, but you don't know my neighbor. I don't know your neighbor, but what does your neighbor need? He needs, he needs a shovel. <laughs> no, no, your neighbor needs Jesus. The, the people who really annoy you, the people who are close to you, the people without Jesus need Jesus. And, and it is, it is God's will that we entrust the gospel to others. Discipleship is not just some weird word. It's the will of God for all of us. It's the great commission by Jesus himself. His last words on earth were our first priority. Go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them everything that I observe, that I've, that I've shown you. 
and, and, and I'm with you to the end of the age. That's the great commission in our lives. Entrust. Entrust what you've been given, what's been entrusted to you. See, the, the gospel does best when it's flowing from one life to the next. So we're not only to be empowered by grace and trusting the gospel to others, we're also to be enduring through difficulty. Look what Paul says. He says, first of all, as a soldier. He says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in the civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. How many of you have ever gone to basic training? Okay. You learn in basic training, and I haven't yet, but my son is about to go and I'm scared for him. But at any rate, you learn in basic training not to get embroiled in civilian affairs. That's why they take everything away from you and say everything that you'll do in a day. And Uncle Sam tells you exactly what to do. You aren't entangled. You are their captive, literally, audience. And and it's all to show and kind of to break your own spirit so that you will take orders and you will follow authority. And it straightens you up. It straightens you up. You're undistracted when you're following the commands. When you're in battle, so, so that when you're in battle, you'll be un, undistracted. You, there's not going to be guys playing angry birds when the enemy is attacking. And that's why you have those environments. So that you're undistracted and the same way it needs to be with the gospel when you are a good soldier of jesus christ and you're advancing the gospel think about it are you distracted with the gospel no we're called to be a soldier how much time do you spend playing video games that's a distraction to the gospel how much time are you focused on Buying the next thing or the next gadget. Hi, I'm Joe and I'm a gadget gadget fan. Uh, in expense of advancing the gospel. As a soldier, undistracted. Secondly, as an athlete. As an athlete. Look at what it says here. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Yeah, we all know the athletes with the asterisks next to their game. They've accomplished it. They did. But... Ah, the asterisk. What performance-enhancing drugs. That's why A-Rod is not a good name to be called right now. Or Lance Armstrong. Sorry, bicycle enthusiasts. Yeah, because he didn't compete according to the rules. So everything he's accomplished is tarnished by that. And when you don't live with integrity, the gospel is tarnished. By your lifestyle. We're called, we're called to be people who live like Jesus and who reflect him. None of us are going to be perfect on that. That's why we have to be empowered by grace. But our, our lives need to be representative of the gospel that we preach. As a soldier, as an athlete, and then as a farmer. And the key value here, look at that. It says, uh, it is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. You know, uh, my dad uh, took up farming and uh, we bought a farm when I was in fourth grade and it was about an hour north of, of uh, Milwaukee where we lived. And he grew probably 200 acres and that's kind of a larger farm in Wisconsin. I know, 
I know you Kansas farmers, you need like a thousand acres or something like that to have a farm. But 200 was big to us. And he grew sweet corn on it. He grew it for a cannery. And I remember going out with him into the fields right before they harvested. It didn't matter what time of day the canneries were ready there with their harvesters to do it. And it was late in the afternoon and we went out and the guy said, it's ready. And my dad said, come with me. We went out and we shucked an ear of corn and we bit into it. And it tasted just like it was cooked. It was awesome. Excuse me as I salivate right now and remember the taste. But here it is. He put all the work in and I plowed the field with him in the spring and we disked the field after we plowed it. And then I wasn't there for the seeds to go in, but there we were and it needed to be fourth, you know, knee high by fourth of July. That's how Wisconsin farmers always thought that corn had to be at that time. And I would, but at the end, when harvest came, we were the first to share in it, you know, and that's what the gospel does. It makes sense of all the hard work that you do advancing it when someone trusts in Jesus. And when God uses you to advance the gospel through your life and someone comes to Christ, you know what happens? You go, this is awesome. This was worth it. This was worth it. I look at how how many times I was been able to share the gospel through circumstances that I did not plan that were actual in my, my picture failures of an opportunity. And they actually turned out into the gospel advancing. And when someone prays to receive Christ, you just go, awesome. That's awesome. So, so the will of God is for you to endure through difficult times with the gospel. Paul would endure. I mean, isn't it in retrospect that we can see he's with Jesus now, but he endured with the gospel. And I would even say we have the gospel today because Paul endured. Do you know, think about future generations that will have the gospel because you've endured. This is what we're to do, church. We're to be empowered by grace, entrusting the gospel to others, enduring through difficulty. So how do we do that? If that's what we do, then how do we do it? Well, look at Paul says in verse 8 through 13, because he's going to show us how to do it. Number one, he says this. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore... I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. There's four things that were that were shown how to do this. How do we follow the will of God when it comes to being empowered by the grace of God, entrusting the gospel to others, and enduring through difficulty? First thing is this. Remember. Remember the person of Christ. See, he's the center of the gospel. Never forget that Jesus is the center of the gospel. Paul says this. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my, go- in my gospel. 
See, if Israel throughout its history were to have a, a, a tagline that would describe what they did that went wrong, that, that scattered them all around the world rather than one tight-knit family of God and a nation that would reflect the glory of God to the rest of the nations of the world, it would be this statement. They forgot. They forgot about God. They got wrapped up in the things of the world. They got distracted from him, from his call, from his word, from, from his plan, from his purpose. They got caught, They forgot. If you read Isaiah and Jeremiah and Hosea and Ezekiel, you will hear a repetitive statement over and over in those books of prophecy in the Old Testament. They forgot. They forgot me. Israel forgot. When they forgot, they went whatever way they wanted to away from God. And they ran away from him rather than to him. The New Testament, Paul is saying, never forget Jesus. Remember, remember Jesus Christ. It says two things about Jesus, that he's risen from the dead, fully God. That's his deity. The second thing he says is the offspring of David. That's his humanity. He came through the descendants, through the lineage of David, who was King David, out of whom the Messiah would come as all the prophets predicted. He'd come from, he would be a ruler from the line of David. That's Jesus. Fully God, fully man, risen from the dead, reigning in glory right now. And, and he is the center to the gospel. Remember Jesus and what he did. Jesus left the, the glory and perfection of heaven to take on flesh, to live in a broken, messed up world, to be rejected rather than praised, to be, to, to be scourged, to suffer and to die on a cross. Remember that, Jesus, what he did so that the gospel and salvation of God could be bring, brought to us. Remember Jesus when you endure with the gospel because when you remember him, you follow in the footsteps of Jesus. And everyone who follows in the footsteps of Jesus, this is a promise, will suffer. Oh, Joe, come on. It doesn't fit into the American dream. Where you, when, you, when Jesus comes into your life, everything's better. Everyone, people like you. People, they love you. And, and then you get things. You get more things. And, and you get to be someone you're not right. No, no. You'll get great blessings from God. But you are not promised you won't suffer. Matter of fact, Paul is right in the center of God's plan and he's suffering. That's why remember the person of Jesus because you follow after him. You follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Secondly, we do this by remembering the power of the word. Look what Paul says in verse nine. He says, for which I'm suffering bound with chains as a criminal. There he was. But aren't you glad for that word? But the word of God is not bound. Remember the power of the word in a world that is skeptical and doubting the word. Remember the power of the word. Paul says, I'm bound with change as a criminal. Do not be ashamed of me or the gospel. But at this very time that I'm bound, the word of God is not bound. And you can kind of picture this letter going through the grill of that prison to a carrier named Onesiphorus who took it to, took it to Timothy in Ephesus and the word of God was no longer bound. From prison 
to the rest of the world. And we now have it before our very eyes. Why? The word of God's not bound. What do you mean? Nero could not eradicate the word of God. And when you hide God's word in your heart, there's power in the word in your heart. There's power when you come to temptation. You can recall the word of God to resist temptation. There's power in the word of God when you follow God and obey his word. There's power in your life through obedience. And there's power in understanding the number one priority of the gospel when it's moving through your life. Remember the power of the word. Remember the person of Christ. Also, remember the purpose of Christ. Look what Paul says in verse 10. He says, therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. You see, in a world that defines you by what you do, that Americans love that. Hey, I'm Joe. What do you do? I'm a pastor. Everything goes quiet. So that's not a profession that gets a lot of, oh, oh, fantastic. Not really. It's, oh, got to be careful what I say. I'm sorry about the, all that language I said before. I knew what you did. I'm so sorry. No, we define people by what you do. And God calls you into a purpose of who you are. See, I endure everything, Paul says, for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. That's our purpose. Give the gospel to others. That's the picture. I endure everything. So he was entrusted with the gospel and the gospel from him came to us. And because it's come to us, it must move from us to others. And then finally, in a world of shallow truth claims, remember, Paul says, the promises of God, the promise of God. Look at what the promise is. And Paul introduces it as kind of it's it was almost a New Testament hymn or a creedal confession that the church would say when they got together. It's a trustworthy saying, and they could almost say it along with him as this letter was being read in Ephesus. If we've died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. There's two sides to this. Remember the promise of God that when you die in Christ, you get Christ for eternity. When you are his, you will live eternally with God in heaven. Secondly, if you endure, you'll reign, not just be with God for eternity. You'll reign together with him. You'll see that's leadership. That's a responsibility for eternity. I mean, don't believe the lie that I used to believe about heaven, that it was a bunch of guys hanging around in terry cloth robes and harps. Okay. That's not what heaven is. That's boring. That's boring. That's kind of creepy also. And and so we're called into a much greater view of the future with God. We're called into a picture of heaven as, as now we will take adventures with God. Now we will explore a new heavens and a new earth with God. Now we will actually have responsibility of leadership in the new kingdom with Christ reigning, with sin no longer fighting against humanity, but but. 
creation complementing humanity for eternity. Wow, how far can we go with God in eternity? Endure. Endure now. Today is not the final picture. Today is not the final reality. The final reality is life with Christ, reigning with Christ for eternity. And so if you've got that image, if you've got that vision of the future, then live with that hope of the future. That when you walk into a broken area with broken people, you realize that's not God's final verdict there. And the gospel starts to shine. What humanity has said is dead, is broken. God says, come alive and be free through the gospel of Jesus Christ. When it's shared, when it's shared spiritually, when it's shared physically, it's the promise of God. Now, it also says something that we need to take mourning on. If we deny him, he will deny us. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 33, whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my father who is in heaven. John says in 1 John 2, 23, he says, no one who denies the son has the father. Whoever confesses the son has the father also. And so I always, and I do believe that once you've trusted in Christ, you can't lose your salvation. But I also know my confidence in that is, is, um, is my profession of faith. I can't speak about yours. I can't, I don't know your heart. So I, I know that some, some people will ask, well, Joe, what about someone who professed Christ when they were six years old and then when they reached around 12, they forgot and didn't care and are they tell me they're still Christians? And I would say, I don't know. I don't know if they're Christians. And and Paul would say this later. I want you to come back next week, but he'll say this later on there that God knows who are his. Okay, it's God who knows. I don't put people in heaven and I don't put people in hell. There's only one person who does that. And I'm willing to trust him. All I'm accountable for is me. I can't make that decision for you. I am only accountable before the Lord. I profess Jesus Christ. I trust in his work on the cross, not my works. I, I have stopped trying to impress him and started trusting in him to save me. That's my profession of faith. And when I have that, I have a promise of living and reigning with Christ. If that were not the condition of my heart and I denied him right now, I'd have no confidence that I'm his. And I am accountable to him. It's not just my opinion. I'm accountable with my belief or lack thereof it in Christ. And if we're faithless, God cannot, he cannot deny himself. So he remains faithful in that. And it doesn't matter really what you and I think about God. He's still God. He's still God. Your belief doesn't make him less or more of God. He's God. He's God. So if we're faithless, he remains faithful to himself because he doesn't change from that, even though we might. And so we're called into this picture to remember the person of Christ, to remember the power of the word, to remember the purpose to which we have been called and remember his promises that God is faithful, that God is reigning right now and he's calling us to reign with him in eternity. And that God promises life to those 
who profess him. So this is the picture of the will of God for us. We've been shown what we're called to. We're showed how to do it. So let's commit our lives to it right now. This is the word of God for us as it was the word of God to Timothy. May God use this so that future generations get the gospel and advance the gospel through their lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for showing us a man on his uh, deathbed who trusted in you because he endured with you. May we be that church. May we be those people who live empowered by your grace in trusting the gospel to others, enduring to the end. And we trust you. For it's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen.